0: I waited patiently for the Lord, He inclined to me and heard my cry. He drew me up from the desolate pit, out of the miry bog, and set my feet upon a rock, making my steps secure. He put a new song in my mouth, a song of praise to our God. Many will see and fear, and put their trust in the Lord. Blessed is a man who makes the Lord his trust, who does not turn to the proud, to those who go astray after false gods. Thou hast multiplied, O Lord my God, thy wondrous deeds and thy thoughts towards us. None can compare with thee. Why to proclaim and tell of them there would be more than can be numbered. Sacrifice and offering thou dost not desire, but thou hast given me an open ear. Burnt offering and sin offering thou hast not required. Then I said, Lo, I come. In the roll of the book it is written of me, I delight to do thy will, O my God. Thy law is within my heart. I have told the glad news of deliverance in the great congregation. Lo, I have not restrained my lips, as thou knowest, O Lord. I have not hid thy saving help within my heart. I have spoke of thy faithfulness and thy salvation. I have not concealed thy steadfast love and thy faithfulness from the great congregation. Do not thou, O Lord, withhold thy mercy from me. Let thy steadfast love and thy faithfulness ever preserve me. For evils have encompassed me without numbers. My iniquities have overtaken me till I cannot see. They are more than the hairs of my head. My heart fails me. Be pleased, O Lord, to deliver me. O Lord, make haste to help me. Let them be put to shame and confusion altogether who seek to snatch away my life. Let them turn back and be brought to dishonor, who desire my hurt. Let them be appalled because of their shame, who say to me, Aha, aha. But may all who seek thee rejoice and be glad in thee. May those who love thy salvation say continually, Great is the Lord. As for me, I am poor and needy, but the Lord takes thought for me. Thou art my help and my deliverer. Do not tarry, O my God father and the son the Holy Spirit. great psalm as we begin to talk about our next insol- installment in the great story so you can either imagine some of those lines maybe Noah's recounting after he has set his feet upon the rock and <clears throat> this experience of building the ark in the midst of a wicked generation and he surely would have had people saying dude no rains coming Why are you building this boat? And he has to be a messenger of God's justice, but then also be a messenger of God's mercy. So first, I want to place in our heads, what's the purpose of the activity that we just did? So in in essence, you built dams, right? What's the purpose of building a dam on a river? Hold back the water, but why do you want to hold back the water? Yeah, like mills and everything. Uh, Maybe recreation, too. That's, you know, we want to have a nice lake so we can enjoy um, the body of water. But what I'd like to just focus in on is building dams for hydroelectricity or harnessing the power of the water. Because has anyone taken a tour of a dam? Right? So, no, that's perfect. Um, Do they let all the water out at once or steadily controlled, right? So then you direct that for a purpose. So you have this massive pressure of water and it's directed by its slow continual release for a purpose. In essence, it's building a reservoir to pull from the deep, the abyss, the like numerous amount of water in order to create a channel to go out to the world to do good. So keep that in mind as we go forward. So we'll begin here on page one. Um, Last person, well, a while ago we talked about Adam. Last person was actually Jesus we talked about in the Kerygma, Um, but next in the line of figures in uh, the Old Testament is Noah. So right there in the middle of the page, is Adam to Noah, and it begins in Genesis 5. Um, This is the book of the generations of Adam. When God created man, he made him in the likeness of God. Male and female, he created them. And he blessed them and named them man when they were created. When Adam had lived 130 years, he became the father of a son in his own likeness, after his image, and named him Seth. The days of Adam after he had become the father of Seth were 800 years, and he had other sons and daughters. Thus all the days that Adam lived were 930 years, and he died. As we look into these short verses from Genesis 5, um, I want us to recall the way God had made Adam. So we can maybe be like, 800 years old. That's a really long time. And there's importance to those numbers. But what the author is drawing us to is a remembrance of the way that Adam has been made in the image of God. And then he passes that image on to his children. And so he has Seth, but they're there for a purpose. So Chad did that really great job saying, be fruitful and multiply, go and fill the earth. And so our author here in Genesis is saying, like, hey, this is their purpose. This is what they were created. So then we have a line uh, that follows. We have some more common names and some less common names. So anyone in here who's engaged or is maybe listening after the fact, you know, you could name your child Methuselah. Um, That's a great name, Lamech. um, I don't know if that's how you actually say it in the Hebrew. Um, or those who are expecting, yeah, these are all males, so, right? <laughs> are you guys having a boy or a girl? Oh, girl, okay, never mind. Um, but then we have some normal names, like Jared right there in the middle, pretty, um, but it leads us all the way up to Noah. So he's the next big character, and we get Noah's name. When Lamech had lived 182 years, he became the father of a son and called his name Noah, saying, Out of the ground which the Lord has cursed, this one shall bring us relief from our work and from the toil of our hands. So Noah's name has a particular importance. So sin grows exponentially left unchecked. Uh, you begin with disobeying God and his commandments. And then after that, they begin to lie and argue with each other. Adam and Eve do in the garden. Shortly after that, their offspring, Cain and Abel, Cain murders Abel. So you have first murder. And then when we get to this portion in Genesis 5 and 6, um, it's described as every imaginable evil is taking place. So sin has just grown unchecked in the world. And this is the state that Noah is walking into. Um, And that gets us to the bottom there in Genesis 6, 5 through 8. The Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth, and that every imagination of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. And the Lord was sorry that he had made man on earth, and it grieved him to his heart. So the Lord said, I will blot out man, whom I have created from the face of the ground, man and beast and creeping things and birds of the air, for I am sorry that I have made them. But Noah found favor in the eyes of the Lord." which is the preface to this flood account. So then we pick up, uh, I didn't put any graphics here, but if anyone's a family guy, watcher, and you have the weatherman, it gonna rain. When you read it gonna rain right there, have him in your mind. <laughs> Cause then we pick up, and this is a kind of truncated description of the building of the Ark. So. Now the earth was corrupt in God's sight and the earth was filled with violence and God saw the earth and behold, it was corrupt for all flesh had corrupted their way upon the earth. And God said to Noah, I have determined to make an end of all flesh for the earth is filled with violence through them. Behold, I will destroy them with the earth. Make yourself an ark of gopher wood, make rooms in the ark and cover it inside and outside with pitch. This is how you are to make it. Make the length of the ark 300 cubits, its breadth 50 cubits, and its height 30 cubits. Make a roof and finish it a cubit above. Set the door, of the ark, on its side, and make it with a lower second and third decks. So he's very precise in the way that he builds it. Um, my daughter Jacinta has some ark play sets. And if you flip back to page one, you actually got a great picture of the ark, Um, Sorry for the sake of time, it's not in color. Chad's used this picture before, and it's like raining and lightning. Um, But does that picture of the ark look like the ark that you maybe have seen in children's play sets or uh, anything else? Right, usually we see a boat, but this is more like a box. Okay, keep that in mind. Cause then God says, For Behold, I will bring a flood of waters upon the earth to destroy all flesh, in which is the breath of life from under heaven. Everything that is on earth shall die, but I will establish my covenant with you, and you shall come into the ark, you, your sons, your wife, and your sons' wives with you, and every living thing of all flesh, you shall bring two of every sort into the ark, to keep them alive with you. They shall be male and female. Noah did this. He did all that God had commanded him. So we've heard a new word here, maybe. Well, definitely in our text that we're reading. We're all probably used to it, but maybe we're like, yeah, I have a concept of ark, but what is an ark? Um, So this is just from etymology.com, but you can see there's reference to Noah's ark, but then also the Ark of the Covenant which we haven't gotten to yet in this story, but it's another nugget that I want you to put away. So maybe you've heard of it, the Ark of the Covenant, but that's um, what held the Ten Commandments um, with Moses. Um, but there's something with this large box chest that has importance. And it's not so much you know, that it's just a large box. It's really should draw us to the meaning of what's dwelling inside the box. What's this box keeping? Is kind of what's at the heart of, what does it mean that there's an ark here? Why does God command all this life be brought into the ark? What's the purpose of the ark of the covenant? Okay, what's inside the box? What's the box keeping? And, uh, yeah, so the ark was like a big box. Um, And there's reasons why I think as we read the story, as we follow it, And so then the purpose of the Ark there um, from the Catechism of the Catholic Church, we see, to reunite all his children scattered and led astray by sin. The Father willed to call the whole of humanity together in his Son's church. The church is a place where humanity must rediscover its unity and salvation. The church is the world reconciled. She is that bark which in full sail of the Lord's cross by the breath of the Holy Spirit navigates safely in this world. According to another image dear to the church fathers, she is prefigured by Noah's Ark, which alone slaves from the flood. So we even mentioned that, you know, we have wood rafters in our church, but maybe you've been inside of other churches and it's either wood constructed or you just think of that space where the pews mainly are, all the seats. And what's it called, if you remember? The nave. It comes from that Latin word for boat. So um, what it's referring to is like, God is creating this purpose to usher creation back safely to the journey. Okay. So the purpose of the ark is meant to hold something. What's being held is most important. And then ultimately, we're seeing from the account of Noah, but then just... And exploring the catholic church this is what the church says is her purpose it's this ark to help humanity rediscover its unity and salvation and it's where god wants to reconcile the world to himself so then on the top of page three when it rains it pours we get the floodwaters that are coming so the flood continued 40 days upon the earth, beginning in Genesis seven seventeen. if you had your Bible, and the waters increased and bore up the ark, and it rose high above the earth. And we see the waters prevailed and increased greatly upon the earth, and the ark floated on the face of the waters, just like your little ping pong balls did in your water. All the high mountains under the whole heaven were covered. The waters prevailed above the mountains, covering them. 15 cubits deep. All the flesh died that moved upon the earth. There's some more. It's describing all the animals, but then only Noah was left and those who were with him in the ark. And then the waters stayed flooded for 150 days. Uh, But then things in letter C there on the middle of page three, things begin to dry out. So we're into Genesis 8, 1 to 12. But God remembered Noah and all the animals that were with him in the ark. And God made a wind blow over the earth and the water subsided. At the end of the 40 days after the wind had been blowing, Noah opened the window of the ark, which he had made. He first sends up a raven and that Raven had good stanima because it went to and fro until the waters had dried up from the earth. But when the raven didn't come back to achieve its purpose, then he sent a dove from him to see if the waters had subsided from the face of the ground. But the dove found no place to set her foot, and she returned to the ark. He then waited another seven days, and again he set forth the dove out of the ark, and the dove came back to him in the evening, and lo, in her mouth, a freshly plucked olive leaf then he waited another seven days and he sent forth the dove and she did not return to him anymore then it's time for them to all disembark because he knows that it's time uh, in this portion just because i wanted to focus on some of the main key plots um, they're seated atop mount Ararat, so they're actually actually have landed on the mountain and ready to go down. Uh, So then go forth. It's time to get out of the boat. Then God said to Noah, go forth from the ark, you and your wife and your sons and your sons' wives with you. Have this bolded because, hey, maybe this should be ringing a bell in our ears. Bring forth with you every living thing that is with you of all flesh, birds and animals and every creeping thing that creeps on the earth that they may breed abundantly on the earth and be fruitful and multiply upon the earth. And so Noah went forth with all those with him. Then Noah built an altar to the Lord and took every clean animal and every clean bird and offered burnt offerings on the altar. And when the Lord smelled the pleasing odor, the Lord said in his heart, I will never again curse the ground because of man. For the imagination of man's heart is evil from his youth. Neither will I ever destroy every living creature as I have done. So then we come across another new word in our story. We have this word, altar. So um, what's what's the purpose of an altar? What is an altar? Uh, This short line that follows after that question on D, um, Roman numeral I, comes from the Catechism, but it's just a definition. Among the Israelites, the altar was the place where sacrifices were offered to God. So I'm just going to like put a little breadcrumb there because I want to explore it a little bit more next week um, of the conception of the altar, because right now we went into the church for the church tour, and we saw kind of a table looking like thing placed inside this building space. okay? Um, but at least for our understanding right now, This altar is going to be the place where sacrifices are offered to God. God's gifts are returned back to Joshua. So then it kind of clues us in. Okay, so Noah has been commanded, go forth, be fruitful and multiply. But then when he builds this altar, right immediately as he gets out the boat, we see what's Noah's purpose. He's to be the leader in establishing the order of right worship and right living according to the word of God. So he recognizes his mission again. Okay, things weren't going so right. I was kept in this boat for a purpose, and that's to reestablish right worship and right living according to the word of God. And then from the Catechism, not CCD, whoops, CCC of the Catholic Church, it just talks about this natural relationship that we have with God. Prayer is lived in the first place, beginning with the realities of creation. The first nine chapters of Genesis describe this relationship with God as an offering of the firstborn of Abel's flock, as the invocation of the divine name at the time of Enoch, as walking with God. Noah's offering is pleasing to God, who blesses him and through him all creation, because his heart was upright and undivided. Noah, like Enoch before him, walks with God. This kind of prayer is lived by many righteous people in all religions. In his undefectable covenant with every living creature, God has always called people to pray, to prayer. But it is above all, beginning with our father Abraham, that prayer is revealed in the Old Testament. So, having this right relationship with God and putting it into practice in the daily life. So, then we actually get another new word covenant. In Genesis 9. And God blessed Noah and his sons and said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. The fear of you and dread of you shall be upon every beast of the earth, upon every bird of the air, upon everything that creeps on the ground and all the fish of the sea. Into your hands they are delivered. And he says, they're for you to eat. Um, And then God gives a further commandment. Only you shall not eat the flesh with its life, that is, its blood. For your life, blood, I will surely require a reckoning. Of every beast, I will require it and of a man. And of every man's brother, I will require the life of a man. Whoever sheds the blood of man, by man shall his blood be shed. For God made man in his own image. And you be fruitful and multiply. Bring forth abundantly on the earth and multiply in it. So again, we should have ringing in our heads, God's commands to Adam and Eve. It's continuing. But then those last verses that we saw are an upping Annie from God to say like, hey, what was happening before was really wicked. It's really important that you make sure everyone knows. Be righteous. Don't go around taking life. So it's a uh, call to Noah to really make the dignity and sanctity of life known in his family. And to have that perpetuated. Then God said to Noah and to his sons with him, Behold, I establish my covenant with you and your descendants after you, with every living creature that is with you. I establish my covenant with you. Then never again shall all flesh be cut off by the waters of a flood, and never again shall there be a flood to destroy the earth. And God said, This is the sign of the covenant which I make between me and you and every living creature. I set my bow in the clouds, in the cloud, and it shall be a sign of the covenant between me and the earth. When the bow is in the clouds, I will look upon it and remember the everlasting covenant between God and every living creature of all flesh that is upon the earth. So God makes the rainbow as a sign of this covenant. So this is also the first time, a little bit earlier, but we haven't heard this word yet. So what's a covenant? A covenant there in 3a, a solemn agreement between human beings or between God and a human being involving mutual commitments and guarantees. The Bible refers to God's covenants with Noah, Abraham, and Moses as a leader of the chosen people, Israel. That definition is taken from the catechism. There's a few other covenants we can point to as well. But it's a promise. God says... I'm going to give myself to you, you give yourself to me. And notice that it's issued through Noah, but what's its scope? So he's making this promise to Noah, but its scope is for the entire world, for every living creature. So oftentimes we can just get lost in the like, main focus of the story, but God is doing something here. Just as he began in the Garden of Eden, be fruitful and multiply, make other images of me in the world. He's hearkening Noah. Hey, don't forget your mission. It's not just about you. It's about you and everybody else. Bring creation back to me. And this covenantal relationship there in 3B really helps kind of define our lives. So there's an acronym that we could look at, relationship, identity, and mission. Our relationship with God is the beginning point of our lives. He's made us in his image. He's called us to himself. From that flows our identity, our dignity. And then ultimately as we live into that identity, we're actually given mission. So the world often though, especially today, what do we do? We're all about self-creation. So I go and create my own mission. And if I'm successful at that mission, then people are going to like me and I'm going to have long and lasting relationships. That's the devil's way of inverting this order of how he's created man and women. Our relationship with him comes primary from that. God's going to fulfill us. God's going to give us our deepest identities, sons and daughters, our states in life, married life, priests, religious. And then when we're called to those identities, then we are given great missions to go and be participants of this covenantal relationship to the earth and subdue it. So then we have two covenants that can kind of be identified. We had one holy couple, Adam and Eve. We see that man's identity flows from relationship with God as Father. This is how He's created them. And then now we've introduced a new covenant and it's kind of expanded its scope too. So it started with two, now it's a whole family, no one in his family. And this covenant. God is showing us that he's faithful to his promises. He's setting the foundation. You can trust in me. Last point I want to end with tonight is just a little bit of 1 Peter 3. So the patron of this church writes, Finally, all of you have unity of spirit, sympathy, love of brethren, a tender heart, and a humble mind. Do not return evil for evil or reviling for reviling. But on the contrary, bless. For to this you have been called, that you may obtain a blessing. And then, for it is better to suffer for doing right, if it should be God's will, than for doing wrong. For Christ also died for sins once for all, the righteous for the unrighteous, that he may bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but made alive in the Spirit in which he went and preached to the spirits in prison who formerly did not obey. When God's patience waited in the days of Noah during the building of the ark, in which a few, that is eight persons, were saved through water, baptism, which corresponds to this, now saves you, not as a removal of dirt from the body, but as an appeal to God for a clear conscience, through the resurrection of Jesus Christ, who has gone into heaven and is at the right hand of God, with angels' authority and powers subject to him. So I wanted to end with just this short verse from 1 Peter, because for a majority of Christian tradition, baptism has been absolutely integral, necessary for the Christian life. And so... Many of you have been brought here, and I can't remember who has or has not been baptized, but there's some of you, I think, that have been unbaptized. But you're coming seeking the church. You're coming to enter into, uh, possibly, the waters of baptism, which is a type. So the story of Noah, we can see it as a type for baptism. So generally, I think, if maybe, uh, correct me if I'm wrong, but, Many Christian traditions at least have some form of this emphasis on baptism, which saves. And it's seen as a type of, uh, uh, Noah is seen as a type to prefigure baptism, which St. Peter alludes to. And if we have in our mind, what's Noah's purpose? So he's going back out into the world to establish right worship and then right living with God. What's St. Peter calling the readers of his letters to? He says, finally, yeah, Florence, have unity of spirit, sympathy, love of brother, a tender heart, humble mind. Don't return evil for evil. On the contrary, bless. It's better to suffer for doing right if it be God's will than for doing wrong. And he says there's a change. So Noah, when he gets out of the ark, kind of the muck, well, the muck, yeah, we've talked about it. It's washed into the water. It's not kind of. It's in the water now. The earth's ready to be repopulated with God's blessings. And so it's the same with baptism. It's the same with the invitation for those who are not baptized. And the same for all of us because baptism is a font of water that springs up in us. It's something that we always draw back upon in the Christian life but it's truly that Christian mission. It's better to suffer if it's the will of God to do good than to do wrong. We're called to be a blessing, not a curse. And so that's kind of the grand scope of Noah's story. It's not just about Noah getting into the boat with two animals of every kind. It's a calling back to the original mission of God's activity in the world. So we really look at him and we can see an image of perseverance as we walk across the hallway to see Noah. Okay, so the final point about why we did the dam activity. Okay, the Christian life's meant to be lived as a reservoir. So that's my invitation for you all as we go forward, as we see Noah. God, how are you chiseling in me, or damming up so that I have a reservoir of your presence? To go with. Right? You can call upon Him and say, reveal yourself to me, speak to me, be with me, help me prepare, help me discern, and walk with Him. And so that you're able to harness the power of His action in your life to go and do good, to generate electricity, let his blessing go forward in the world. And that's Noah's story, the image of perseverance and the image of that reservoir to generate electricity, to let his blessing go forward in the world. And that's Noah's story, the image of perseverance and the image of that reservoir. Thank you for listening. To this great content from St. Peter Catholic Church. For more content, for other talks, for more information, please visit St. Peter Catholic Church, Lincoln, Nebraska, on Apple iTunes or on Podbean, and our parish website, stpeterlincoln.com. God bless you.